All right, please stand with me as we read the word of the Lord from Ephesians 2. If you're reading from the Black Bibles, it is on page 947. It'll be Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My name's Cam. I am pumped to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, welcome to church. If this is your first time with us, uh, man, introduce yourself t- to me, please. I'm just going to be selfish. Just come say hey to me. I'd love to meet you. Uh, my wife and I have been working with an organization called Athletes in Action for the past four years now. And uh, we just absolutely love this church, and we love you guys, and it is a privilege uh, to serve here at Trinity. Um, have, have any of you guys heard of visual lethargy, or I just figured out it's lethargy, but I think it's a tomato-tomato kind of thing. But anybody ever heard of visual lethargy? Lethargy. I don't know how to say it, okay? Um, if, if you haven't heard of it, you've definitely experienced it, okay? Have you ever been, like, driving home, and then all of a sudden you're home, and you're like, whoa, what happened? Like you just like zoned out for a while. I have a friend who told me he did this for seven hours from a trip. So I don't know. He's a crazy guy. Um, anyways, it's called visual lethargy. Or I remember when I got here to Columbia, I, I, I moved from a school, kind of a smaller school in Colorado. And when I drove past the stadium the first time, I was like, that thing is crazy. Like that's so big. And just like the little Mizzou headquarters there, I was like, this is awesome. And I drove by it. And almost every time I drive by it, I'd be like, this is so cool until like three weeks later, and I just drive by it. And probably most of us, we just drive by it and we're like, oh, it's like totally, we forget that it's even there. It's called visual lethargy, lethargy, I don't know. But what it, what it is, is it's when you've seen something so many times that you just actually stop seeing it, okay? Or uh, I remember when, when I first met my wife, um, I'm kind of a, I'm like a romantic guy. Like I love rom-coms, like the com, the com is extra. Like if we can get some comedy in there, that's fine, but extra rom, okay? Um, so when I met my wife, super dramatic, okay, I was like, oh, I love this girl. Like, she's it. Like, she's the one. Like, that's totally descriptive, not prescriptive. It just happened. Day two. So I entered into this three-month-long journey of trying not to tell her that I loved her because that's just really weird on, like, day three, four, five, six, right? So all the time, what I would do was, when we were hanging out, I'd just take this deep breath, and I'd be like, and I'd stop because I'd stop myself from saying I love you, right? Like, week two. And she'd always be like, what do you, you need to say something? I'm like, yes, but no, right? So, finally, I, I told myself three months, bro, guard her heart, don't tell you love her yet, all the Christian stuff. I lasted like two months, and I finally told her I loved her. And it was this powerful, amazing moment, right? Like, I'm like, I love you. I'm sorry. I can't hold it any longer. So dramatic. And then she says it back, and it's like fireworks. It's amazing. Best moment of my life. But now, like this morning, I left her house, and I was like, I love you, babe. And I love you, too. Not that I, I love her more than I ever have, but there's this weird thing that when we do something and say something and see something again and again and again, 
that we actually stop singing, right? In this passage, we are at risk of doing this. Because we've got some phrases in here that we've heard again and again and again and again. And if you've walked through a Hobby Lobby before, you've seen half of these phrases, right? Grace, faith, uh, saved. We've definitely heard of saved, right? We need to redeem that word this morning, okay? Saved, uh, good works, all of this stuff, right? So we're at risk of actually missing it or seeing something so many times that it just kind of falls on deaf ears and falls on a hard heart. So this morning, what I'm going to do right now is we're just going to pray and we're going to ask that the Holy Spirit would illuminate this, that it would feel fresh in our hearts and our minds because it's not something old that we experienced once, but this is the ongoing process of following Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. It says that it's living and it's active, that it's not just another book that was written 2,000 years ago, but that it's alive, that there's life there, that that in you, Jesus, is truth and grace and life. So even as we open up these words, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to make them come alive in our hearts. Would you reveal to us again what your grace actually is? Would you reveal again what your love really is in our hearts this morning? And we offer all these things up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, here we go. Passage right away, right? It starts. It is by grace that you have been saved, right? That's what it says in verse 4. Then it goes to verse 8, and it says, It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not anything that you've done. And if we still don't get it, it says, verse 9, it says, And it is a gift of God, not by works, right? So, so sometimes when I'm preaching and I say something again, it's most time because I kind of forgot I said it or I'm kind of thinking about what I'm going to say next. But if somebody says something three times, they're really trying to drill it in your head, right? And that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, it is by grace that you've been saved. So grace, what actually is grace? I want to look at the life of Jesus here. One of the pictures we get when Jesus starts his life and ministry, at least in the scriptures, we get this zoom in picture in Matthew chapter three. And Jesus goes and he goes to get baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, right? And up to this point, Jesus is like human accolades, spiritually speaking, like not a lot, right? We don't even know that much about him. He's like 30 years old. The only real story we have is his birth. And then we have this kind of weird one-off thing where he kind of goes to the temple and they're like, we can't find Jesus. And he's like, I'm in the temple praying, of course, right? So that's like the only thing we know about Jesus. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't preached one sermon that we're aware of. He hasn't taught a parable. He hasn't restored anybody. He hasn't delivered anybody. He hasn't done a single thing to bring about the kingdom of God that we're aware of in the scriptures, right? And what happens here? John baptizes him. And as he comes out of the water, we hear the audible voice of God boom over creation. And it says, this is my son, my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is grace, right? This is the one way love of God that before you do one thing right, he loves you and accepts you and affirms you and says, this is my son, this is my daughter. The definition would be truly, it'd be undeserved favor, something you can't earn, but he just gifted it to you. He just gave it to you. And think about that word favor, that he likes you, that you're like his favorite. You ever have favor from somebody? It means that they give you stuff that you don't deserve. That's what grace actually is. It means that you no longer have to live for acceptance, that you no longer have to 
uh, keep trying and try to earn, but that God through Jesus has welcomed you into his family and it's completely not of your own doing. It's that, that Jesus has wondrously and completely accepted you because of his great love towards sinners, bad people like you and like me. And just think about all the energy that we put into propping ourselves up. Every time we walk into a room when we try to put our best foot forward, even when we walk in here this morning, we come in with a smile, might not be feeling that way, but we come in trying to make ourselves feel a certain way or look a certain way or be perceived a certain way. Think of how often we're enslaved to the idol of perception management, just trying to manage the way that people see me and look at me, where we're just trying to look like we have it all together. And that's the goal. That's the prize at the end of the day, just people looking at me thinking, Cam, you got it together, bro. And you ever notice when you look at somebody's life from afar, when you look at the distance, you're always like, yo, they, they are killing it. I'm not, but they are crushing it, right? Finances, they got it. I saw his shoes. They're working it, okay? I, I saw a picture of them praying. They pray all the time. They look so spiritual. They raise their hands in worship. Like when we look at somebody's life from afar, it always looks really good. But the more I'm experiencing relationships, the more I'm becoming more aware of the own stuff that's in my own heart and my own life, the own inconsistencies and insecurities and everything that's going on inside of me, nobody has it all together. Here's a secret. We're all basically faking it all the time, right? We're all presenting ourselves to be one way when in reality we're something completely different. And that's why grace is such great news. That's why as Jesus followers, we derive our power and our strength to keep going from an entirely different power source, right? Because we no longer have to pretend. We don't have to act like we have it all together because of this thing called grace. In fact, that's one of the biggest hindrances to actually experiencing grace. If grace feels like a concept right now, it's most likely because you're pretending, because you're faking, because you're acting like you're one way, not just in public and with people, but in private with God. See, because we're invited to worship and love God out of a sincere heart, okay? And this word sincere, what it literally means when it goes back to the Latin root, it, sincere means to take the mask off, okay? I was thinking about this the other day. Something fascinating is, is, is if God is, if you have a mask on in your relationship with God, the only thing receiving the grace and love from God is the mask. You never actually get it inside of your own head and your own heart, and it never really penetrates you because you've got something blocking it. So our own uh, desire to perceive ourselves a certain way actually hinders us from experiencing grace. And Jesus can't love and transform who you're pretending to be. He can only do it to who you actually are. I think if we pause for a second, just stop and think, we tend to think that God is more accepting of us on some days than others, right? Like I just think of my best day, right? Like when I wake up in the morning, I've already pre-ground my coffee. It's brewing, smells good. I'm coming out, I walk, I, I, I just, I'm just interceding over my family and just my house. I'm just asking the Lord to just, just bless it, Lord, move in power, whatever. I, I read my word, it's just, I'm just crushing Bible. I got my highlighter out, I'm just killing it, right? I go into my meetings, I'm just so engaged, I'm so focused, I'm listening, and I stop and I'm like, I'm listening so well right now, right? I give some advice and they're like, oh, Cam, that was so helpful. And I'm like, yes, I know it was, right? I move on through the rest of my day, I come home, Kayla and Blakely, we're all just there together. We eat dinner. We have a deep spiritual conversation about Jesus and our souls. And I'm just like, let's go. It's amazing. We go to bed. We, we say some prayers for everyone, the nations. And we're just like, God, 
save the world. We, we need you, whatever. We do all this stuff, right? And then we go to bed, we sleep, and I, as I lay my head down, I'm thinking, I'm his beloved son with whom he's well pleased, right? We all have that feeling, though. But then, but then bad day, right? Wake up, my alarm goes off, I'm like, nah, not today, right? I'm going to wake up a little later. I, I, I wake up, I, I don't even read my Bible. I'm a little rushed, I'm anxious, I'm a little nervous. I come to my first meeting, I'm, I'm daydreaming about things, the golf course, <laughs> trying to fade this ball over the trees, whatever. I'm just thinking about things. I can't focus, I can't listen. I have thoughts popping in my head all throughout the day as I'm driving, envious thoughts, jealous thoughts, embarrassing things coming into my heart. I go home, I'm irritated, I'm frustrated. I'm rude to Blakely, which is like so hard to be, but I just, I'll find a way, right? I have this horrible day. I'm bad and I lay my head down at night and I think, and I hear this whisper into my ear, because you blew it today, right? I was disappointed in you. you. You did it again. Because at least for me, I don't know about you, but my natural propensity is to think that my relationship with God, I relate to God based on my moral performance, based on how good or bad I did that day, or even in the, in the previous hour or two hours, when that is not the case at all. It is 100%, not 90%, not 80%, is 100% based on God's grace. And I know even in this church, right, we have leaders, we have people who are living life on mission and on purpose. And you need to hear that God doesn't love you because you're impressive to him. He doesn't love you because of your giftings and your strengths and your discipline. He loves you because underneath all of that, you're a son or a daughter, and that is why he cherishes you. And that is why he invites you in deeper. So when we wake up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, and every single moment in between, God declares over you, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. This is grace. And this grace, it should actually humble us and it should empower us. Okay, so that's what I'm going to talk about, how grace both humbles us and it empowers us. So first let's talk about how it humbles us. Passage carries on. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So let's pull apart from these phrases, right? Saved. Saved. We got to redeem that word, right? Saved. If anybody comes up to you and says, hey, are you, are you saved? You want to run the other way immediately because it's just it's overbearing and, and crazy, but saved, right? You have been saved. You weren't doing okay. You weren't pretty decent with like a little bit of anxiety. He's kind of struggling through some things, but you know, Jesus really helped me, made me a little bit better. Just enough Jesus to kind of hold me over. That's, that's not the case, right? The passage says it was while we were dead. We were dead and he saved us. He rescued us. He made us alive. He didn't throw us a life preserver while we were out in the water. We were swimming pretty good on our own. Like, yeah, I think I could probably make it, but I'll take that life preserver. That'll be a little bit of help. That'd be nice to get back to the shore, right? Thanks, Jesus. Shout out you for, for, for the life preserver. Thanks, bro. Right? It's not that at all. He doesn't just aid you, make you a little bit better. But he comes in Navy SEAL style. He dives into the ocean and it says, while you were dead, you were buried at the bottom, hopeless, lifeless, breathless, without God. And he entered in, picked you up, brought you back to the boat, breathed life into you. He rescued you, redeemed you, and saved you. It's the one-way love of God that has saved you. And you've been saved through faith. So what exactly is faith, right? Like even that we talk about, right? You'll have anybody and everybody say, hey, man, brothers, keep the faith. I'm like, keep, keep the faith in what? Like, what are you talking about? Faith. 
So let's talk about this. What actually is faith? Well, faith in the Greek, it comes from this word pistis. I think I'm saying that right. I don't trust my any words I'm saying today as right or wrong after I found out what lethargy was or lethargy. So don't quote me on, on pistis. As I said that, I'm like, that can't be right. So, but, but it's really similar to what the Gospels, right? They, they would say to believe. Or, or more closely translated, it's to be persuaded or to trust. There's this moment in John chapter 6 where Jesus and his disciples, they've seen Jesus do a lot of stuff, and they kind of have this moment where they're like, hey, Jesus, we just kind of realizing you're carrying a lot of the load right now. Like, you're doing a lot of stuff. And we're just kind of wondering, is there any way we can help? Like, what, what are the works of God? Like, what can we do for this whole thing? And, and Jesus, he, he says this. Kind of goes all Jesus on him and is like, Here, here's the work of God. Believe in the one whom he, who said, mess it up, sorry. This is the work of God, to believe in the one he sent. He says this, you know what you guys can do? Believe, trust. Well, I love what Frederick, Frederick Beekner says, a more modern translation for this would be to relax into Jesus. You know what you guys can do? You can relax into me. Frederick Bigner again, he says this, nothing more honors the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit than our relaxing in this gift exchange. Relaxing is a better modern translation for trusting in or believing in. It's the goal of the entire Gospels to create this relaxation out of which comes such relief and trusting that we actually desire to be commandment keepers. I wonder if this is the perception of Christians these days. They're just so relaxed. Those Christians, they're just so chill all the time. They're just non-anxious. I wonder if that would say way more than any word that we would ever speak. If we were just a relaxed people. But this is it, right? That you are saved. Your response to God's one-way love to you that saves you by his grace is to relax in Jesus. So like I'm a competitor, okay, by nature. Competitor, achiever, like if you ever got like a window into my card games with my wife right here, okay, you'd say, Cam, you just said something about being saved. I don't think you are, bro, okay? I'm just going to come out and confront you with that, okay? Just kind of a little crazy, right? Com- competitive by nature. So I'm drawn to verses like, first Tim- like in First Timothy when it says, fight the good fight of faith. Like, let's go. Come on. Let's get it. Let's get after it. Let's tie our bootstraps up and let's get to work. But I wonder if fighting the good fight of faith has a lot less to do with this inner self-empowered courage to honor God and do great stuff for him and a lot more about fighting our desire to earn, fighting our desire to achieve and to be the point and to be the hero. Because the truly gospel humble person realizes that even faith is a gift from God. That my responsibility isn't just to get to work now. Look at what Jesus has done for you now. What can you do for him? But my responsibility is to relax in him, that he's the hero and that I don't have to be. It's why during this season of Lent, we sit in our humanity. We sit in our brokenness because to not understand our need for saving, our desperate need for forgiveness, our need for the power of the Holy Spirit is to minimize the work of Jesus. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, if right standing with God came through being good enough, then Jesus died in vain. If you're going to go try to earn it, it just completely diminishes the work of the cross and the work of what Jesus actually did for you. So it's actually not honoring to God when you try to do that. It's dishonoring. 
So not only does it humble us, though, this grace, it humbles us. It says, I need saving, but it also empowers us and it gives us confidence. Right? The verse carries on. It says, for we are his workmanship. So workmanship or other translations, it might say masterpiece. Or the original language of the best translation would be God's poetry. It's this compilation and combination of all of God's uh, beauty wrapped into one thing, his poetry, his masterpiece. Psalm 139 says this, for you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. That when God made you, he didn't just create some algorithm and throw you in and create you in mass to kind of save some time and energy and resources, but he slowed down. He formed you, your personality, your passions, your humor, your lack of humor, your seriousness, however your personality is, your features, your hair, your eyes, your smile. He made it all. And you're unique. There's nobody like you. Last week, I forgot to ask the guy if I could throw in my sermon illustration, so I'm just going to say it. Someone in our church was getting towed away when I pulled in last night, or last Sunday, okay? And I came up to him, I was like, oh, bro, like, what happened, man? Why are you getting towed? He's like, yeah, <sighs> parking tickets. You know, I, he almost had to bail me out of jail. I was like, and then he kind of was like, just kidding. You know, could you imagine? And I was like, I could imagine. Because when I was in college, um, I was driving home from practice, and uh, I got pulled over in a car, okay, rolled the stop sign. They came up to me. They said, hey, can I have your you know, license, registration, whatever. They went back, took it back. So I did what good Christians do when they get pulled over. I turn on K-Love, turn it up a little loud, you know. Then, then they were just back there forever. Like, they were just taking forever. So I'm just bumping K-Love, turn it up louder and louder. And I see another cop car pull up, and I'm like, louder, louder, max volume. Right? Our God is an awesome God, we praise. Okay. And then they walk in. They walk up to me. I'm like, oh, gosh. He says, Mr. Michael, uh, you have a warrant out for your arrest. You didn't pay a ticket a couple weeks ago, or actually like two years ago, so I had a warrant out for a long time. Um, promise I didn't know. Um, pulled me over. They take me in. You know the first thing they do, though, when they take you in? You guys probably don't know this, um, but firsthand experience. You know what they do when they book you? It sounds so tough when they book you, you know? Um, you know what they do? They take your fingerprint. You know why? That's crazy. This is really crazy. They take your fingerprint because the little squiggly lines on my finger are different than any other human ever created. That's crazy. Nobody else has these tiny little squiggly lines. And like Casey, when he talked earlier, what is God that you're mindful of us? The one who hangs the stars in the balance, the one who just spoke and everything was created. He's so big and holy and set apart and majestic. And in the same way, he says, these little fingerprints, they separate you from everybody else. That I slowed down enough in all of my busyness and all of my hurried and all, everything that I'm doing in the world, you know, everything to make you. But you're unique. There's nobody like you. You have dignity and value and your worth as God's workmanship is far more than you think. And to reject yourself or to hate yourself, it's not actually some noble spiritual thing, but it's to hate the handiwork of God and not embracing that actually leads to most of our problems. Okay, Henry Nouwen, he says this, self-rejection is the great enemy of the spiritual life. And he continues on, he says, over the years I've come to realize that the greatest trap is not success or popularity or power, but self-rejection. That success and popularity and power, they can indeed present this great temptation but their seductive quality often only comes as a result of our own self-rejection. Isn't that interesting? 
He says the allure of success and popularity and power, it's not because you just think you're amazing, but it's actually because you don't like yourself and you don't want everyone to know it. So instead of being okay with yourself, you're not okay with yourself and you prop yourself up with likes and retweets and money and security and financial stuff and all of these things to prop myself up because I don't really like myself. And it leaves us in this endless and anxious state where we always want more rather than relaxing in who God made you to be and how God made you. You're his masterpiece. You're his handiwork. But that's not it, right? It says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, there it is. You're like, there it is. I knew we'd get their works. Where's my role? Where's my responsibility? But just let me restate really quick. Okay, order matters. Okay, all of this is always an overflow of his grace. Grace saves us, grace makes us, and then grace empowers us. Okay, it's not, hey, you were created to do something for God. And if you mess up along the way, there's this little safety net called grace. That's not it. It starts with grace and that empowers us and moves us forward. Okay, into good works that God has already created in advance for us that we might walk in them. Let's talk a little bit about works. God's works is our invitation to participate with God in the renewal of all things. It's as he renews us individually, that then he might send us out to participate in his renewing work in the world, to bring about his kingdom here on earth. Okay? I want to get really practical here just as we close here in the next couple minutes. There, there's this story of uh, Lyndon B. Johnson, the, the original LBJ, right? LeBron James, for everybody else who knows who the new LBJ is. Okay. Anyways, all right, that one didn't land. Um, okay, know your audience. Um, okay, <laughs> the original LBJ, Lyndon B. Johnson. Okay, there's this story where he, was, uh, he went on a mission trip with this Cuban-American pastor named Eloy Cruz. And he, he writes down, and he, he, he's kind of reflecting on the whole process, and he, and he was just talking about how magnetic. He's like, I've never met anybody as magnetic as Eloy. Everybody loved him. Everybody was drawn to him. He was leading people to the Lord. Like, he's just like, this guy is amazing. And he finally pulled Eloy aside and was like, hey, man, what's your secret? Like, what do you do? How, how are people drawn to you? How do you do this stuff? And what he said is really, really profound. He said, at any given moment, my, my call, my purpose is just to love God and to love the person in front of me. And that's basically what I do. I just slow down to be present enough to love God and to love the person in front of me. He said, your call, your purpose, the best works in a really simple way that you can do is to love God in any given moment and to love the person in front of you. Could you imagine? Even if just this church, if we just went into work on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, we were just present enough to just love God and to love whoever was in front of us. That as we went home, we just thought, you know, I got a lot going on, but my main purpose right now, the good works that God has prepared for me to do is just to love God and to love whoever's in front of me right now. So, in one way, that sounds really simple and really broad, but in reality, it's insanely specific. Because loving people isn't just this one-size-fits-all activity, but it's dynamic. How I love people at work is actually totally different than how I'm going to love my wife or my children at home, right? It's all different because people are different, and it's why we need this thing called awareness. One of the greatest needs for us as we try to follow Jesus and follow God into the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do is awareness. In an age of distraction, we're getting pulled a million different ways where I just want to think about golf and watch golf videos and I've got all these things in my head to not be distracted but to be present and aware. See, because most, most 
of the days depicted in the Christian life are I, I read my Bible in the morning, get a cup of coffee, crush my Bible in the morning, and then I just kind of try to cling on to maybe one or two things that I read in the morning, hopefully that it just like sustains me through the rest of the day. But the passage says that God has prepared beforehand good works that you should walk in them. I just wonder how aware we are of God's active presence in our lives. The moment-by-moment dependence and awareness of the Holy Spirit. There's this really interesting story in John chapter 5 where Jesus, um, he he comes to this this place called the Pool of Bethesda. And and to, to cut out a lot of the details, it's, it's a ton of people coming every year to this big thing to try to get healed. So you have a ton of people coming to try to get healed. And Jesus heals one guy, okay? He picks one, he heals him. And his disciples, they kind of, they're like, that was interesting, right? Like, we've seen you heal lots of people. We've seen you do big miracles. But for some reason, you only healed one. And he has this crazy thing that he responds to them. He says, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. But he was, Jesus was not always in tune of, hey, where are we going? Where are we going next? But he was in tune to the Father's voice of what he was speaking in the everyday, average, ordinary moments. The practicals of that situation would be like, hey, here we go. Let's get a line set up and start healing. But there was something there. He, had, he was aware of the, of the Father's voice speaking to him and say, hey, this is the guy right here. Are we aware? Can we just stop for a second and say the Holy Spirit is active and present in our lives? He wants to be with you on Wednesday afternoon and Thursday morning and Friday evening. Like He wants to be there all the time. We just need to stop to be present to him as he's present to us, to be aware of his activity in our life. So even as we go back to the baptism, we see basically everything we need for the Christian life. As Jesus is baptized, he comes up and we see the Father's affirmation that says, you are my son with whom I am well pleased. And the next thing we see is him anointed with the Holy Spirit. The two things that we need as we move into the life of following Jesus, we need the Father's affirmation and we need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So I just want us to pause for a second. There's two invitations for us this morning. One is just to embrace grace. It's to stop striving, but to hear the Father's declaration over you that says, you are my beloved daughter. You are my son. You are my masterpiece. Stop striving and relax into Jesus. So for some of us, that's going to speak right into our hearts. But for the other, the other invitation is just to invite the Holy Spirit into your everyday, ordinary, average moments. There's nothing natural about following Jesus. It's all supernatural. There's no, there's no moments that are kind of normal. And then there's the church moments. But everything is spiritual as we follow Jesus and we invite his Holy Spirit in. So it's to ask the Lord everywhere he's moving and to see how we can participate in the renewal of all things with him. Let's pray.